0: The reading is from St. Paul's letter to the Hebrews.
1: Let us be attentive.
0: promised, since God had foreseen something better for us, that apart from us they should
2: not
1: to Saint Matthew. Let us be attentive. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Minadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed the father of Jesse. And Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and of Abijah the father of Asa, and Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the. father Father Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jechaniah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eliazar, and Eliazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, fourteen generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered this... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had borne a son.
2: people and to your
0: spirit.
2: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Normally I uh, talk at length about the genealogy, but today I'm not going to. I'll talk a little bit though. And the reason why every year the Sunday before the Nativity of Christ, we read this genealogy that we take the time to read all of these names, both during the Orthros service when we remember all the saints commemorated, but also during the liturgy at the Gospel, is because the Church wants us to know who is a part of Christ's family. Jesus himself wants us to know who is a part of his spiritual family. And the reason is because he wants us to know that there are righteous people, that there are people who have sinned, people of ill repute like harlots, people who have committed murder and adultery, People who are kings and wealthy, as well as people who are unknown, relatively speaking, and who were of plain means. People who were part of the offspring by blood of Abraham, and those who came from afar and chose to be a part of this faith and we're grafted in all of these people are a part of the family of Christ and he wants us to know it because among other things he wants us to realize that he has come because he loves everyone and he wants everyone even among those categories that i mentioned which are very broad to be a part of his family The reason that He becomes a man, that He empties Himself, that He condescends to such a degree, is because He loves us. What I wanted to connect this with was that we wouldn't even be able to have the Divine Liturgy God hadn't become incarnate. And the very fact that we're able to celebrate this service that we're celebrating is precisely because He did become a man and dwelt in our midst full of grace and truth, and we have beheld His glory. In fact, the Divine Liturgy is the celebration par excellence of His incarnation. Every single time that we gather together to celebrate this service, and this is one of the reasons why we do the 40 liturgies during the Nativity of Christ fast. From November 15th all the way up and including the Nativity Divine Liturgy. And so as we stand today, after this service, we will have five more. Three at 5.30 in the morning. And then the Liturgy of St. Basil the Great, the Vesperal Liturgy on Christmas Eve. And then we will have the Midnight Liturgy of the Nativity. And I want you to think about the Divine Liturgy as I take you briefly through it. There's no way to say, Blessed is the Kingdom, unless Christ has come. In fact, the forerunner, John the Baptist, his sermon of readiness was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand precisely because he knew that Jesus had come, that the Son of God had become man. Jesus' own first words were the kingdom of heaven is at hand because I am in your midst. So every time we as clergy and you give your amen to blessed is the kingdom, we are pronouncing, proclaiming that Christ has come, that He has become a man and has dwelt in our midst, that we are able to commune with Him and to join Him at the Holy Altar. And then as the liturgy continues to unfold, the first three petitions that we say, In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace... From above, from God, let us pray to the Lord. For peace in the whole world, let us pray to the Lord. The message that the angels came and gave to the shepherds to announce the coming of Christ was glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men who are pleasing to God. That kind of peace is only possible. If God is in our midst, He's the only one that can bring that interior peace, peace that brings man in reconciliation with Himself, man in reconciliation with His Creator, and therefore the possibility of peace between people. We cannot manufacture this peace ourselves. There are lots of people in the world working for peace, but it is a self uh, man-centered type of effort. It is not a God-centered effort, and therefore it will never happen and never last. The only kind of peace that can come and be lasting is a peace that is first between us and God, and therefore us and ourselves, and then it can be shared amongst us and our neighbors. As the liturgy unfolds again further, we just read epistles and gospels, readings. These are the record of God's revelation to us. There's no way we would have these sacred books. We wouldn't have these words of life if the Son of God hadn't become the Word of God and dwelt in us and in our midst. We take this for granted that there would be no sacred letters and there would be no gospel without the incarnation. We would not have words that pierce our hearts and our souls even to the point of our bone marrow and that bring that kind of life if God hadn't emptied Himself and become a man. And then we go on with the liturgy, And we get to the part where we say, your own of your own, we offer to you on behalf of all and for all. What do we mean by your own of your own? What are we offering to God, if not ourselves and all of God's creation? And isn't it interesting that we and we alone are in that unique position to be able to offer all of God's creation back to Him in thanksgiving, that we may receive Him into ourselves. We're literally days before Christmas. And all of us undoubtedly have been focused in one way or another upon gifts. Some of you on the gifts that you're going to receive, and some of you on the gifts that you're going to give. And we think about this in a very prayerful, loving, and and beautiful way because we want to give gifts that are important to the person that we're giving them to, that are right. That they're going to appreciate, that they'll be able to use, that are an expression of our love for that person. I want you to think for a moment of the greatest gift that you could give to anybody in the world. The greatest gift. What would it be? If money wasn't an object, if time wasn't an object, what would it be? I would suggest that the greatest gift you could give would be the person of Jesus Christ and all that comes with Him. Some of us might say, well, eternal life, fulfillment, peace, joy, all of these are wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. He brings Complete healing and everything that is needed by any human being, anywhere, at any time. And He gives us eternal life. And every divine liturgy, we are invited to come and to receive this greatest gift. And this is what we're doing we're offering ourselves and our whole life and all of creation and all of the cosmos. To God, and He's giving us back the absolute possible greatest gift that we could ever give or receive. Every single time. This would be impossible without the feast of His Nativity, His incarnation. And then when the liturgy is about to end, The priest says, Let us depart in peace, and you all say, In the name of the Lord. And then the deacon says, Let us pray to the Lord, and you say, Lord have mercy. But back up a minute. Let us depart in peace, in the name of the Lord. After receiving this greatest gift, after receiving Christ into ourselves, His body mingling with our body, His blood rushing through our veins, mixing with our blood, being literally partakers of divine nature, taking Christ into us in the most intimate way possible. The church says, let us now go out in the name of the Lord, with Christ in us, and let us share this greatest gift with the people out there who have not yet received it. They get to, in a sense, receive it in part through those who have received it in its entirety. It's as if you are transported mystically into the kingdom of heaven and you get to participate in what's always going on there and you get to commune with Christ and then He transports you back into the world to be able to share that light and that grace and that transformation and that joy and that peace and that healing with the people around you. Sharing that gift that you have received inviting them to come and to see and to participate in the incarnation of Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, God has shown us that He has come motivated by an unquenchable love and that He has come for everyone, the righteous, the unrighteous, Those near, those from afar. Those who are of high position and well-known. Those who are of low position and relatively unknown. God wants everyone to be saved. And He has given us the church, and in the church, the celebration continually of His incarnation through the Divine Liturgy which is our invitation to, in the most full way possible, participate in this ongoing feast of Christmas. It is not once a year, but it is literally every time we say, blessed is the kingdom of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. My challenge and invitation to you is to try to alter your schedule if you can and try to make some of these last five liturgies as we step up our preparation and our participation in this Feast of the Nativity of Christ. Amen.